0: What happened to holiness over time we began to realize that uh yeah our view of sin is slowly and slowly changing and today we want to go back to the scriptures uh, to see truth not ending up in one extreme but uh, with wisdom guided by the scripture to look at uh, these things to look at sin the way god uh, looks at it pastor patrick i'm going to start with you um sorry I'm going to start with you, but thank you. Thank you so much for committing uh, this show to God. Sometimes we don't think of these things as as, uh, as a war, but even as we discuss uh, this topic, understand that we are waging war, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I like the way that verse just puts it. Anything that wages war against uh, the knowledge of God in, 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 um, in just uh, distorting the truth, And it's interesting that sometimes we think we are wise and we don't go to God in prayer. Uh, We think we can tackle this life, but just praying tonight is just a simple dependence on Him. Uh, to guide us through it, uh, make sure that the connection is stays on. And Pastor Patrick, when we're thinking about this, Pastor Patrick is my co-host tonight with JJ. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Most of us expressed our thoughts on the WhatsApp group, uh, but I did not hear from you. Um, just briefly, what are we looking forward to uh, tonight? I know Pastor Kevin will answer all the questions that we cannot be able to answer. He's, uh, he's had some years of experience with these things. <laughs> but... Pastor Patrick. I don't know about that, but... (laughs) That's why we invited you. I mean, (laughs) but Patrick, what are we looking forward to tonight?
1: Yeah, thank you so much, um, David. Um, I'm personally also looking forward to this show and how the discussion is going to go. I enjoyed reading through the article that you shared on the page. And if anyone has not um, read through that article, you need to read through it. And I think it has links to um, other articles. But we're asking ourselves a very important question here when we are saying what happened to holiness and the fallacy of brokenness and basically we want to discuss uh, what does Christian holiness mean the Bible calls us and um, you hear it said be holy because the Lord your God is holy but also there have been voices that have come out and said well you guys are pretending, you know, you guys are covering up all these things. Be authentic, like, uh, be, be real. And, and people kind of relate to such things. Um, I remember last year I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine, and they were telling me, oh, I like talking to this particular pastor because he's so real. Uh, he talks about the real issues that we are facing. You guys just talk about things up in the air, things in the Bible. But maybe uh, let's talk about it and see... Um, how do we engage with the challenges that our generation is facing while uh, keeping faithful to God's call for us to be uh, a holy people for Him. Thank you.
0: Awesome, awesome. Let me hear from um, Mr. Jeremiah. As we're thinking about uh, this topic, um, what, what, what were some of the things that were crossing your mind? I do have a couple of thoughts, but I'd like to hear from you so we can get a three-dimensional explanation uh, or discussion uh, tonight, JJ.
2: Um, I think just to add to what Pastor Patrick has talked about, um, from the article that you shared, it sparked the sort of question that are we? Do we have to fake holiness until we actually become holy? Um, so trying to look at what holiness is and how do we become holy? If we're called to be holy, as the Bible says, how do we do that? And I think that's what I'm looking forward to today, looking forward to discuss, looking forward to hear from, from Pastor Kevin and to just be sharpened in this regard of holiness and how we can be holy while also being sort of fighting our sinful side
0: yeah awesome thank you and thank you so much jake um Pastor Kevin, uh, first of all, how have you been? And uh, yeah, I know this is not the first time we're talking about this. I know we did have uh, a brief discussion um, earlier on uh, concerning this topic. And uh, and then I did send you the article and I asked you to look at it. Um, and I'm going to be sharing this, this article with us as well. Um, those of you who might not know what we are talking about. But what have your thoughts been? How would you in one way summarize this? If someone only had two minutes uh, on this show, they may not be able to go through to the top of the hour. What would your summary be of uh, of our discussion tonight, Pastor Kevin?
3: Well, I think it's a very real danger. We see this in our uh, culture right now. uh, This move toward uh, labeling, being authentic about your sin means that you're a spiritual person. And you don't have to deal with that sin in fact it's almost worn like a badge so i think that i think the distinction you have to make is not that there's a group that sins and a group that's sinless that never sins it's it's rather we are called to struggle against sin and to seek victory over sin and uh and not to be comfortable in our sin and just relax and say well this is how i am everybody knows it and and that's a almost worn like a badge of honor and so I think the challenge for us is just that, that we, we need to <clears throat> see this as a, a challenge for us to, to say, um, as men of God, uh, I need to, uh, I need to be honest about my sin, but I don't want to park there and revel in it and act as though that makes me in some way spiritual. It does not. <laughs> it means that you've got work to do. And let's get that work going so that we can become a better tool for
0: the lord and i, I do like how um you really summarize that not, not in in the sense of i forget the exact words you used that those who sin less and versus those who, who sin a lot but um that even on our discussion group uh, that you may not be on uh pastor kevin that that has been The difficult part to reconcile. And uh, those of you who just uh, joined us, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about uh, the authenticity versus holiness, where one person thinks because uh, they are genuinely uh, accepting the fact that they're sinners um, kind of gives them the permission to continue living that life where they almost, like Pastor uh, Kevin has said, they wear that like a, like a badge of honor. Oh, this is what I'm struggling with um, versus the people that want to correct, want to uh, tell that individual that, hey, man, in as much as you're struggling, you need to stop. And, and that's where the battle is. That's where the battle is. And the article that I'm talking about is on uh, the Gospel Coalition. Um, and the question I'm being asked in this article is has authenticity trumped holiness. And I did ask members, uh, Pastor Kevin, to mention a couple of pieces of this article that they found uh, encouraging uh, or true. Uh, they identified with, and, and Samuel Buziki did mention this, and he quoted this, uh, this part of the article that says, and I quote, in this dynamic, we often reward those who are most vocal about their authentic struggles in the sweet spot which is the, the quotation without giving equal weight to the two small sins or creating a space that is safe enough for the most embarrassing sins or darkest struggles um the other thing he says we become too comfortable with our sin to the point that it's how we identify ourselves and relate with others but shouldn't we find connection over christ rather than over our depravity and it looks like there is a point where your sin can be okay and, and i think the first fallacy in, in this whole discussion is to think that some sin is less than another type of sin they, we may not exactly put it that way but if in a bible study group i can i can casually talk about how i'm struggling with a particular sin And yet, the leader of the church, if they struggle with another, the same type of sin, they cannot be allowed to stay in that position of leadership. Now, not all churches uh, uh, approach sin that way. But there's that some sin is smaller than another, not by directly saying it, but by the way we treat it. And that's the point that this article is trying to make. We kind of want to find a sweet spot where we're saying we are not exactly sinning as like the other person, but I'm okay being the way I am. Uh, what would you, um, how would you advise someone? And I, know, and I know we don't treat it like this. I don't want to, to throw a spanner in the wheel but we seem to accept certain sin and not another even with bible believing churches if let's say a pastor lied it's not as bad as if they have another wife or another set of kids somewhere some sin is forgivable in in the in the human sense and another sin is not have you experienced something like that uh pastor kevin
3: well i certainly think that there's a distinction when you uh, you know, first of all, as James says, all sin is sin. No, no one can say, "Well, uh, I am, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine before God because I'm not sinning the kind of atrocious sin you're sinning. I'm just sinning over here doing this." It, sin is sin, and so in one sense, uh, we are all lawbreakers, and thus we have to understand the the severity of that uh, of that truth. But <laughs> I think on another side, biblically speaking, uh, as well, uh, although all sin is falling short of God's glory, yet some sins do have specific kinds of entanglements or do more damage uh, than than other types of sin. For instance, Paul uh, notes specifically that the sin of sexual immorality is in a special class in that it involves sinning uh, with the person's uh, body and, and uh, uh, the discussion of that not outside the body, but within the body. And, and so uh, I think that we would all agree that a person that, uh, for instance, uh, says a word of gossip to someone that they shouldn't have said, that's different than a person that murders someone. As far as severity, we, we'd say both are sin, but but the, the one certainly has more severe consequences. I think that the, the article, what they're trying to uh, make the case for there, and I think it's true, is that uh, if, if a person says they only have very slight Uh, you know, sins as, you know, the socially acceptable sins. And we all, we all said, I say that tongue in cheek, but we've all seen uh, lists of sins in the New Testament, for instance, that uh, we are, we are shocked that some of those things any Christian could ever do. And yet other items on the the list were shocked that they're on a list with those serious things. Uh, You know, so we always, you know, in, in we, when we talk about those kind of sin lists need to realize, first of all, it's all serious to God. It all needs to be dealt with. But there are some sins that will disqualify you according to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 uh, from being, uh, for instance, uh, an elder or a pastor in a church. And so, uh, they, I think the point of the article is that everybody's Uh, everybody's comfortable trying to share. Yeah. I'm struggling with something small, but there's this push for authenticity that says, no, no, the person who's really spiritual will, will share some really, you know, deeper struggle, but not something crazy. Like I murdered my neighbor. I mean, then that's where he says there's, you know, that's too much, but, but something that, that, that seems raw and real. And and like, now you're, you're in the class with the, every man that can uh, that can say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I have that same kind of sin myself." Now I feel like you know you're one of me, and, and I think that's dangerous. In this sense, is that as, as church leaders, for instance, we are we are called we are called to acknowledge that we're human, and we're called to acknowledge that yes, we do sin. We're not going to be sinless, but at the same time the sin that I do have there, I, I had better be showing the, the example to those around me. This is how you seek victory over that sin. This is, um, this is what we need to do when we find sin. And, and if, I, if I hit a point where I'm relaxing and, and reveling in it and, and saying, you know, look what an authentic you know uh, person I am. I'm just like everybody else. Well, as believers, we're, we're not called to be like everybody else. We're, we're called to be an example. Uh, of faith to people like paul says to to timothy when he challenges him with and with timothy being a younger man this is very pertinent as him in second timothy 2 22 now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness faith love and peace with those who call on the lord from a pure heart uh, That he doesn't say uh, embrace youthful lusts and uh, you know build bridges to people and let them know that you struggle with youthful lust too no he he says flee run away from those things because those will actually damage uh, your your uh, your ministry uh, we have to we have to be examples and uh, that's another exhortation he gives to Timothy to show himself an example uh, of those who believe uh, in his faith love and conduct and, and and speech and I think that I think that's something that uh, we we need to sort of find that that, that proper understanding. I, I have seen this where, uh, here in the United States, uh, I read of a pastor, actually heard a person tell me locally of a pastor who, while he was preaching, uh, used foul language in the pulpit, cuss words. And it was looked upon by this person telling me as, uh, look, look what a real genuine person they are. And that's a, you know, that's just, lowering a standard when we need to we need to raise the standard and say no we're we're not trying to hold hands with sin we're trying to show people here's how you here's what you do to be victorious over sin to cleanse it from your life though we're not going to be perfect yet we've got to keep that that
0: course of seeking uh victory and yeah it's uh it's it's a very fine line, and and sometimes very can be very difficult to find that uh, fine moment where we reconcile both truths. And and in beginning our discussion today, even you you will acknowledge that with the scriptures that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's interesting that. Uh, We sometimes don't want to acknowledge our own sin. We acknowledge (laughs) other people's sin. But when the Bible talks about all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even us, uh, those who might be trying to point out other people's sin, sometimes we are reminded of our own sin. I say this because... This discussion has happened not only in the, on, on the discussion group we are at, but in trying to point out someone else's sins. Someone tells you, "If all of us have sinned, what right, therefore, do you have to point out my own sin?" What response uh, would you have uh, to that? I'm sure you've had that kind of response from someone. Well, I think that the the point I go to with that is there, there's
3: one thing to acknowledge that you have sin it's another thing to be seeking god's solution and victory over the sin i often in counseling will quote proverbs 28 13 to people uh there's they've got some problem some struggle going on and so i'll talk with them about the nature of uh, of how people tend to to face those situations he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper so that's the first part of proverbs 28 13. if you try to hide your sin You're not going to prosper and and so i tell people you know people try to hide their sin by saying uh, i didn't do it uh, or of course god knows i did it so well it's not such a big thing everybody else does it too but the proverb says he who conceals his sin will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion and and i think it's notable that the second half of that the solution don't try to conceal it, but rather he who confesses and forsakes them. Now the confessing your sin is the acknowledging saying, yeah, this thing is sin, but the forsaking, that's the seeking God's victory over it. And not just, again, lying down in it and saying, well, this is what it is. It's God will forgive it. And, uh, so, so if I have somebody that says to me, Hey, you've got sin in your life too. I say, Yes, uh, of course. And, and, and in First John uh, chapter 1, uh, it, it specifically says that's going to be the case. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Yes, I say we, we, uh, we all have sin, but God wants us to press on and to uh, find a way to resist sin and to be more and more, as we grow, um, victorious over this sin so that really— it's a matter of we want to become more and more like Christ. It's what Paul talks about in in uh, Romans chapter eight. God is working to conform us into the image of His Son. And the problem is when I say, uh, or a person says, "Well, we can just be comfortable where we are, and and we'll just rely upon God's grace to forgive it." Then you start getting into that, you know, question of. Uh, where where Paul says, "Shall we continue in in to sin so that grace may abound?" That's a very dangerous place to be. So I, uh, you know, I, I exhort people. Uh, we're not going to find a person that never sins, uh, but but we we need to be examples of here's how you deal with the sin that you do have, and uh, to me that's very significant.
0: Pastor Patrick, what are your thoughts uh, concerning uh, what uh, Pastor Kevin is talking about and uh, any questions for Pastor Kevin? Patrick.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, um,
0: David. It's
1: been really good listening to Pastor Kevin. And I've just been thinking there that um, most times people are actually more receptive to those who sin like they do. And they kind of... um, are more judgmental to those who don't seem uh, like they do like it's so easy to point the finger because people see in a different way and yet uh, like we've been told in scripture and even pastor kevin has mentioned sin is sin and that we ought to be dealing with it um the same way and i think i've found it helpful as well and uh, just just especially how pastor kevin um, did share concerning some of these sins that have consequences which affect more people and have a deeper impact on human life, uh, the unity of the church than this other sins that one would say uh, are kind of private but I know that even within God's will uh, and in scripture he's calling on us to deal with all sin whether it's private or public, whether it affects few people, it affects many people we ought to be um, dealing with it, and I think when you read uh, Paul's, Paul's letters, especially the one to the Colossians and the one to the Ephesians, he's calling on us uh, to put to death the deeds uh, of the flesh, and that's like the constant Christian journey where we're uh, putting to death these various things.
3: And that's the case for sure, is, is as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that the you know, when his explanation of his own Christian life, I've been crucified with Christ, he said, and I no longer live, but, but Christ lives in me. That, that is the, the, the calling card of a mature Christian is we, we are living a life where we are putting to death and acknowledging I do not have rights. Oh, I know my flesh is going to struggle. <laughs> I know my, my old man doesn't like that. But God is calling me to live a life where I lay down my rights and and walk in righteousness, and uh, so there's this, there's a battle that's that's certainly joined, but that battle uh, has to be won by God's power, not just us gritting our teeth. It's it's got to be through the, the fruit of the spirit. It, it, again, God's power, not our own. But certainly, the, the problem is when a person says, "Well, I'll, I'll just you know sit back." and and it's okay Uh, then before you know it you start giving yourself points for being you know again so authentic I'll share two examples one one in scripture is in first Corinthians chapter 5 where you had the person that was sleeping with his father's wife which we think of course would be his mother-in-law or I'm sorry his stepmother his stepmother and so the, the church just allows that to go on. And when Paul rebukes them for that, he says, uh, you've become, uh, you've become arrogant and have not mourned instead. So they're actually proud or, or, or arrogant because they've got somebody who's committing this sin that in Corinth would have been such a cutting edge thing, I guess. Um, and so that, th- that was so backwards and wrong that, Paul gives them specific direction on how to break fellowship with this person and turn him over for the devil to deal with him. Uh, not that he would lose his salvation, but that that he would be saved by by falling into the devil's hands and, and feeling the full weight of the sinful choice that he was making. Um, another example I can give you is one from here in the, in the States. There is a magazine that for years and years has published uh, articles for pastors and church leaders and uh, years ago uh, they chose as the editor for the magazine a pastor who had very famously fallen into adultery and after a certain amount of time went through a process of restoration and uh, stepped back into ministry and one of the things I read about when when they were talking about this man who was going to be uh, the the editor and leader of this magazine that publishes these these helpful articles for pastors is they said, we've got a pastor who knows what it's like to be there and to, to be in the trenches with sin and to fail and struggle. And so for them, it's like there's this appeal that this gives him a, a, a better place. For myself, on the other hand, my thought is, hey, why not go and get a pastor who has struggled successfully, who, who's been faithful to the Lord and faithful to his wife and has not struggled? He, he's, he's gone through the difficult testing of temptation, and he's found 1 Corinthians ten thirteen to be true, that, that, that with the temptation, God also provides a way of escape that we'll be able to endure it. And how about having that person be the one that we spotlight to head up a ministry like that so there's a interesting the way that really in the real world in the christians do tend to uh feel like this gives a person some kind of uh some kind of prestige or clout because they've had this fall or this struggle and i really think that that we need to change our thinking and say the one that we should be holding high is the one who proves consistently faithful That's the one that I want to follow, and that's the one I want to hear from as far as how did he do it, you know? That's the important thing to me.
1: Yeah, um, thank you, uh, Pastor Kevin, for highlighting that. And I think as we think through, especially the last point you've shared, I was reading through the article, and that also came out in the article. And the thought that ran through my mind is, the Bible actually doesn't present Jesus to us in that way. Um, Like in in Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 4.15, where we are told about he's tempted in every way and yet without sin, but he's still able to sympathize with us. So we are not told that, oh, Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he has been tempted, fallen to sin and risen up again. But we are told he's able to sympathize because he knows what it's like to be tempted and now he's able to uh help us and sympathize with us in our form of weaknesses and uh,
3: yeah that that's an excellent point and and i agree um in fact jesus because of that is actually able to sympathize with us much more so because he has never sinned sometimes i've heard people say well how does jesus know what it feels like for us to sin you know that's that's not the point the point he's making since jesus never sinned he knows what it's like to be tempted far beyond we do what we know because if you think about it when we're tempted and we're tempted one day and we're tempted the next day and here that temptation comes again when uh, when we finally give in and do that thing we actually are Ceasing to struggle against that sin, we are we, giving into it, so we no longer resist it. We don't we don't we cut the battle short. In other words, we're not we're not tempted by it. Once we've sinned, now we've done that thing. Jesus, since he never sinned, every day that he was on earth, that opportunity would would come again and again and again, and he always chose rightly and never sinned. So, if you talk about who knows how to sin, who knows who knows the struggle of uh, of temptation? I mean, it's the Lord Jesus, because no person has ever resisted so consistently throughout his whole life. Um, so, uh, Jesus is our, our our perfect one to look to when we're tempted, because he knows he knows what it's like to be sorely tempted, far beyond what any person knows. <sighs>
1: Yeah, thank you. And I'd love to to ask a question. Um, The example you shared from 1 Corinthians of uh, this guy that was uh, sleeping with his um, father's wife, and then Paul recommends that we hand him over to Saturn. Now, with this uh, new wave that talks about authenticity and being open about our brokenness, there is another aspect of it that talks about what Paul is talking about is not loving. I thought the Bible is about love, and so you don't show love to people by sending them out of church or putting them under discipline. Uh, What are your thoughts on on that argument of the discipline is not love when such thing is happening in the church?
3: Well, I think that it's a very short-sighted viewpoint to say that the only way to define love is that we have to accept what is going on Uh, In reality, the way to define love is when you look at the ultimate good for the person and you realize that this sin is going to destroy their life. And if I let them continue in this unchallenged, they will not only destroy their own life, it will infect others and destroy them as as well. Uh, When Paul, in the midst of that discussion in, in 1 Corinthians 5, is giving that exhortation, his real... Challenge to them is that uh, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. If if you let this sinful situation go uh, and, and exist in the church without being corrected, then it will start to replicate and it will spread throughout. And then you will have many people in these situations that ultimately they are going to incur jo- God's judgment in their life. As the, Lord, as the Lord disciplines them, for for although I believe that we are certainly secure in in our salvation, yet uh, when you read in Hebrews chapter twelve uh, about the warning that uh, we 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 don't want to fall into the discipline of God, uh, because that can be very severe. In fact, for the Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter eleven, part of the severity of God's judgment for them was and it had to do with their abuse of the Lord's supper was that God had uh, made some of them sick and some of them he had he had called home he had killed uh, they they died early and and Paul specifically said that when that happened it was not it, it it was it was so they wouldn't be judged along with the world so so there came a point where God's judgment his hand was so heavy because of their unrepentant sin and so i think when you see someone like the man in 1 Corinthians 5 and the other people in the church watching him, uh, a pastor's heart has to say, this is like having a small child that's running around with a razor blade. Uh, There's nothing good that can come of this. And not only is he going to hurt himself, he could hurt others around him. I've got to get this away from him. And even though the child might scream and cry, that's not unloving to take it away from him. That's the only right thing to do. And I think we have to see that when we're dealing with sin in someone's life, Uh, We are setting them free from a serpent that has wound around them and they don't even realize it. Sometimes they think this is their pet serpent and it's all good for them. But it's interesting if you follow world news uh, around the world several times a year, you will see news stories about someone that had a pet python or boa constrictor that one day decided that it was no longer going to be a pet, but rather it wanted to have a meal. And, And so this is a, this is a reality that. Of the view of what sin is, and that's why I think when, as Christians, and especially as Christian leaders, when we say I'm going to be comfortable with this sin, we're taking a very we're taking a very wrong approach from God's perspective.
1: Yeah, but thank you so much, Pastor Kevin. I I like that illustration of um, a child running around the razor blade, and even when you talked about. Um, the, the serpent that's wrapped around this person I'm thinking of the blood sucking parasite that is on someone and it's they enjoy seeing it on their body yet it's sucking the blood out of them and making them weaker and most times we don't give those images of sin and 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 it's because um, maybe we want to uh, let me use the word offer emphasize grace like we need to talk about grace as much as possible but yet, uh, be so realistic about sin so I wanted to ask you as well that um, if, if I reflect on my personal life and I realize that there is this sin that uh, is within me uh, that, that is probably taking me captive or something at what point if I'm involved in church ministry do I say uh, let me take a break from everything and deal with this or, or do you think there's room for saying, as long as I have people I'm accountable to, I could continue in ministry um, as I fight this battle with sin?
3: Well, I think that there is uh, there is room depending upon the particular sin that you're dealing with. If it's a sin that is on the list of, of again, First Timothy 3 or Titus 1 that talks about specific requirements for a leader. And uh, for instance, if there's a pastor who's committing adultery and he says, well, I've got people I'm talking to trying to work through this to stop, that's not acceptable because uh, he's disqualified and needs to understand. He just needs to excuse himself and step back. But if you have a pastor who is dealing with, um, you know, a sin and he says, listen, uh, I'm I'm struggling, I need to find God's solution, I think, I, I think that there is an opportunity to find the truth of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man and God is faithful uh, and, and how he provides that way of escape. I, I think that's very uh, important that uh, that we say, whatever the situation is, I need to seek victory. And uh, yes, maybe I need to get some some good brothers that i can uh speak to in regard to that sin and have them uh hold me you know accountable in that but i think that there you're talking about not not the kind of sin that is uh gross uh sin on the list that that causes devastation in people's lives to, to me there's a in other words we're human if you said to me kevin do you have any sin in your life at all well, of course I'm human. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have a clicker for how many times I might briefly think the wrong thing or have a wrong motive or leave something undone that I should have done or do something I shouldn't have done. I mean, that's just the reality that we have sin in our lives. But I think that to me, what we want to do is, 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 is really try to uh, grow a, a sensitivity to the Lord in those things so that we as the, as we see those things we are dealing with them i, I think what john says in first john 1 9 uh, that if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that that process of uh if i confess my sin which which the word there in greek means to to say the same about it if i if i if i say the same about my sin as god already knows about it and so I think there's something very important there: is that we learn in an area where we're struggling, as many times as we realize that we're struggling with it again, to immediately stop and confess that as sin, and ask, you know, as we do that, believe as true that God says He will He will forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, based upon His justice and His righteousness. So. Um, I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but I, I think that um, for the sin that we have, uh, that we see in our lives, uh, we, we need to take it seriously. But if we, if we see the kind of uh, sin that is very hardened and very shocking, yes, uh, step back and you've got to get that resolved. So I think somewhere it depends on what kind of situation are you dealing with. If a pastor says, yeah, sometimes I uh, uh, I find that when I'm asked a question and I'm trying to uh, get out of something, I, I tell a small lie, quote unquote. Or maybe a pastor says, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a little lazier than I ought to be, whatever. Then I say, deal with those things. Um, but if, if a pastor says, yes, I, I'm visiting a prostitute or I've got uh, another you know, woman that I know that, that's. That's not something you can say. Keep doing it, and just work on that. That's something you need to realize. The car has already broken down. Uh, the, the engine is shot. I gotta gotta get it, gotta get this off the road so that I don't endanger other drivers.
0: Happy you the best from all over the world. The world. You? Your number one live for the Sundays at 9 p.m. East Africa Time. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, those of you who might be joining us, this is Kevin Devils, and we are continuing with this topic concerning authenticity versus uh, holiness, and uh, Pastor Kevin, allow me to tell you a story that uh, might, for a minute, maybe illustrate the discussion that we are having. Thank you so much, Pastor Patrick, again, for engaging us, and we are still going. We still have about, uh, maybe, 20 minutes uh, to the end of the show. Recently, we adopted a stray cat. The thing just walked into our house, uh, into the compound and uh, the kids began feeding it crackers. Um, this is Joe, my last born, is about one year and, uh, and six months uh, with Sophie. And I... I I don't want to say I hate cats. I don't like cats. Let's just put it that way. Um, That's a gentler way of uh, putting it. Sorry, cat lovers, if you're listening in. Um, For some reason, we're brought up differently. Um, And I told them, I don't want that cat in the house. Um, And I actually told the kids, stay away from the cat. But what happened is the mom, my wife, began taking pictures of the cat and sending them to me um, and saying, hey, uh, the kids are playing with the thing, and they are quietly loving it. <laughs> and two days later, they gave the cat a name, uh, Fluff. And yesterday, I found myself stopping at a pet shop and buying a plate for Fluff, bringing the plate home. I softened, we even got some milk for the cat. And I'm looking at the cat right now in the couch living like it was born here. One of the children <laughs> adopted. Um, and this is its second night. Uh, last night, however, my wife said, you know what, this thing, yes, we have allowed it to stay in the house, but it is not sleeping in the compound. I mean, in the, in the sitting room. We're going to find a Benson and it shall spend a night in the bathroom. Why? Because it's not trained. It's going to end up peeing in one spot in the couch, and that couch will stop, will start stinking. And we all agreed and put the cat in the bathroom. We got it a blanket. And the rule was that's where you shall be until you learn your manners. And like it or not, us learning to take care of the cat, I wake up in the morning and I'm hearing this cat sound meow, meow. I opened, I should have opened the front door for you to get out, but I only opened the bathroom door. And the thing pooped right there on the carpet uh, as you get into the bathroom. Now, I use this example maybe to think about us being adopted into God's family. And uh, we come in and we enjoy this comfort of someone dying for us on the cross. And here's the thing. We do find that there are standards in this home, in this family that God has adopted us in. And the standards here, there's a particular place we must uh, do number two. It shall not be in the couch but let's take the example of having multiple cats and maybe some cats poop in the in the couch while others use the bathroom and the thing is cats that poop in the couch cannot rebuke each other and saying why do you poop in the couch they can't because they are all couch number two they all do number two in the couch they cannot rebuke each other. And that's the problem that we've had in discussing authenticity and holiness. But here's my, 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 the twist to this story. Maybe you'll pick one or two things. The standard is not among cats. And I think that's why we get it wrong. Believers are not the standard. God is the standard when it comes to how we must view sin. I am the one who is setting the standards for the cats, whether they use the bathroom, whether they poop outside or poop in the couch. The owner of the home, which is my wife and I, are setting the standards. So among you cats, whether you're using the bathroom, whether you're pooping outside, whether you're pooping in the couch, determine among yourselves who is going to obey the rules of the house. Now, we never threw the, the cat out on its second day when it did a number two on the rug leading to the bathroom. But I'm not so sure how long we're going to keep up with that happening. There might be some discipline along the way for this cat to learn where to do number two or number one. There might be a day when I shall say, you know what, you were sleeping outside. There might be a day, depending on how this cat behaves, when we shall say you need to leave this compound and go find another place. Maybe one day you realize that that was a better place for me to live. I better live according to the rules of that house. And so in talking, talking about holiness, there are rules. Let me use that word. There are standards that God has set for each one of us. And maybe the breaking news for all of us, even as we discuss this, let me just say this, Pastor Kevin may disagree, but Pastor Kevin is not the standard. God is the standard. And... It's interesting that even as we are talking about this, yes, each one of us has sinned, and we're just simply trying to hold on to this standard that God has set, not any one of us setting that standard. Pastor Kevin, just one or two words concerning the cut illustration, and I know such illustrations crash in the face of Scripture, but is there any similarity to some of the things that the Scriptures talk about? Does that help in uh, trying to understand what we are talking about today? Then we'll hear from JJ uh, briefly. Pastor Kevin.
3: Yeah, I think it's a good illustration from the standpoint of what you conclude from that. The, the thing is, we are not animals. We're not cats. Uh, we, our, our goal is not to be the best cat. Our, our goal is to be like God. <laughs> and, and, and for us, my goal is not to be the most authentic person. My goal is to be the most like Christ that I can be. And, and, and I want to pursue that, of course, with humility and know that I will, like the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter three, uh, brother, I, I've, he said that he, he had not yet achieved it, but this one thing he did, you know, and, and speaks about pressing, pressing on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that to me uh, is, a, is a, a, a good illustration of, for us to get our, our eyes not on other people. Uh, and for me as a pastor, I don't want to get my eyes on other pastors and say, "Well, at least I'm doing better than that guy," or "At least I'm not doing what he did." I, I want to get my eyes on Jesus, and there is always room for me to grow and press on for that upward call of God, and and to see maturity and in gr- growth continue on. I was thinking of in uh, the Old Testament. I'm teaching currently in uh, the Book of First Samuel, and the. Uh, the 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 account of Saul as he comes to power and then David as he is coming up and when you look at the life of David and Saul it's not a matter there of which one sinned and which one didn't they both sinned but when Saul sinned he justified his sin and made every excuse for it and minimized it until finally he was nailed to the wall by by Samuel and then he said oh okay i've sinned i've sinned you know but he had to be he had to be completely boxed in before he would even admit it when david when david sees his sin the the great example of that when nathan the prophet comes to see him david once he sees he completely is broken hearted and uh, casts himself upon the lord for his mercy and i think that that is maybe for me helpful in thinking about it's not which one was a sinner. Saul and David were both sinners. The thing that makes David stand out as a man after God's own heart was how he dealt with his sin and how he sought God's forgiveness and to be, to be freed from it. And Saul, on the other hand, was making excuses and happy to have his sin
0: there in his life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, JJ, any thoughts?
2: Um, I actually didn't want to stop listening. I was enjoying hearing from Pastor Kevin and all you guys. So, um, as I was listening, I think what the idea that was that kept on creeping up in my mind was a sort of scenario that I think was painted in in the article where they talked about how how you know back in the days churches used to sort of present the popular notion was to present this sort of facade where Christians wanted to put out the holier, like put on a holy exterior, like put on the act of I am sinless, I am holy, I I am really a good person and I don't really have sin. And I think that's what gave birth to the sort of authenticity, the authenticity trend where I think kids growing up were were looking at people and seeing these people put on a holy facade but in the background and in real life they were sort of being sinful and they were falling short and I think it poses the question and I think I want to pose this question to Pastor Kevin how does a person on their journey of faith sort of prevent themselves from going on one end where they're trying to present a holy exterior or trying to fake the holiness until they probably make it and then, or lean to the opposite side where they're sort of being authentic, trying to be authentic and present the side where they know they have sinned and that's what they share with the church. I mean, they are two extremes, but so to speak, how to know which holy ground to stand on. I don't know mm. if, if if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, if if I follow what you're saying in that, so remember in the New Testament, they had self righteous people that tried to look perfect on the outside though they were corrupt on the inside we called them the pharisees you know they they are uh, they they existed in that day but that did not prevent paul from writing exhortations in his letters about the need for believers to take on true holiness and to pursue growing to be more and more like christ so in their day in other words you had that very thing on the earth many many pharisees many self-righteous religious leaders it's just that um so, so we don't want to say well then that's just the way it's going to be it's going to be the standard no no that's not an acceptable standard uh the pharisees are are blasted by jesus more than any other group because they are hardened in their sin but they want to act like they are religious leaders i think that uh for us, you know, on the other side of the of the scale uh, to say, I, I want to uh, be genuine with my sin, but I want to be careful that in, in being genuine, I, I don't open the door and say, so just let whatever come in and that's okay with me. Now, I, I've got to, you know, Hebrews 12, you know, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance of the sin, which so easily entangles us. Now there's the reality is that sin will wrap around us if we if we're not careful and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith. I think that that is so key that we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and uh, and I think that knowing that as as I pursue the Lord and as I'm serious about the sin in my life. Okay, sin if I see a sin in my life, I want to treat it for me, you say you don't like cats, uh, uh, David. Uh, I don't like I don't like cockroaches in my house. Uh, if I if I see a cockroach, and, and uh, on occasion in Florida, one comes in if there's a hard rain, I, I want to kill that thing. I, I want to get it you know out of there. I, I want to have that same kind of response when I see some kind of a of a sin in my life. I want to treat it like a cockroach. And try to smash it, and yeah, it might it might slip away and run under the the the, the couch, and then I got to move the couch, and I, you know it, it's a it, it's a it's a process, in other words. Uh, but I want to be diligent. I don't want to just go and and see it and say no big deal. Um, I've sometimes used this illustration again, going back uh, said this to our, my, people in my church. Um, if if you knew that you had a poisonous snake in the house that had gotten loose. Would you go to sleep in that house? And everybody laughs. Says no. I, you know, you know, they. We'd be sure. Even if we had to take every item of furniture out of it, we would not be comfortable and say, "Well, so what? No big deal." I think that for us, the thing we have to understand is we have to believe the severity of sin. We have to believe that what God says about that—that um, that sin results in. Uh, so much death and destruction in our lives. And uh, if I understand that, and that what the world promises is false, then I, I can start to get the right perspective that don't be casual about this thing. It might, there might be a roach on occasion, but man, I, I don't want to just let it be there and multiply. So that's my Florida
0: analogy for you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Pastor Patrick, Pastor Kevin. Okay. Very thank, sure. Back thank, thank
0: you, you so David. Much. Let's hear from Munzi. Munzi is here with us as well. Munzi, what's up? Um, yes, uh, David, how are you?
4: Um, great. Um, I have a question for for Kevin. Um I've been thinking about the holiness movement, which happened in the US. Of course, it had some false teaching. I'm thinking about the Wesleyan they are preaching that you can be completely without sin. But we had something similar here in, in Uganda called the East African Bible, which was fronting holiness, like you have to be holy, make sure you live a righteous life. And yeah, in as much as there's some issues with that kind of of theology, I feel like we have gone to the extreme end of the spectrum where we are like, now do whatever you want. We are not focusing on holiness. Is there something we can learn from the holiness movement? What do you think? What do you think, Kevin?
3: Well, I would say that at least the holiness movement does keep an eye on sin. They don't want to have blatant sin attached to their life because I think it becomes apparent to the those around them that they've got something wrong going on. Um, so may, maybe it keeps sin on their radar more. Uh, I do think it's a, a problem to set up a as, a as a working model that Christians hit this point of perfection where they no longer sin, and usually along with that, if they do intentionally sin, they lose their salvation and have to start all over. I've I've spoken with pastors in those movements that explain it to me like that, and so I I, I think that um, to at least though see the sensitivity there that they want to be freed from it, even if they're uh, kind of fooling themselves saying, "No, I'm not. I don't sin. I I, I just make mistakes sometimes." You know, that's that just becomes a, an issue of semantics, but nevertheless. I, I think that the other side of, of the tendency to say, "No, just be casual about it and it's no big deal." Uh, again, I, th- I think we've just got to go back and get God's get God's uh, definition of sin uh, in regard to the danger of sin and uh, the danger it does in people's lives, the destruction it it brings it you know as it brings forth death, uh, the the warning in Hebrews chapter twelve that if we don't deal with sin in our lives, that God might take the, the limb which is lame and yank it out of joint rather than be healed. It, 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 the, you know, the picture there in Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 13 is that I've got this sin and, uh, and, and, uh, and it's hurting my life. Oh boy, it hurts to have this in my life. But rather than deal with it, I'm, I'm ignoring it and, and God's trying to get my attention on this thing and he might have to grab and yank that thing out of joint so that I finally see the the ugliness and severity. It, it's a very interesting passage there just talking about that loving but very firm discipline of our Heavenly Father who disciplines us because he loves us. And that's a mark of his love. So, so I think that somewhere in that we've got to make a, dis, a distinction between what do I do uh, as a, um, you know, as a believer, I'm, I'm not going to fall to the error of the holiness movement because I know that that doesn't bring me to truth. That just makes me start redefining things and saying my sin is just unintentional mistakes. But I think at the same time, we've got to be, uh, cautious to certainly be diligent. Take, take what God says about sin that um, it is. uh, It's not something to to be comfortable with.
4: Thank you, Kevin. That's excellent. We really need to have a like a, a measured view of of sin and going back to the Bible. Um, Just one more. Sorry, David. I've I've taken over your the questions. When we were growing up, you know, there was this purity culture, and personally, it helped me a bit to remain you know, sexually pure. But. Uh, of late, it's getting a lot of flack. I don't know why. Guys, like this pity culture thing, is not good. It causes people to do what? What's What's your take on on some of these things that usually help younger people to try and to be holy? What What do you think? Is it entirely bad? Can it be good?
3: Well, I think what you're I think what you're saying is a good example of how the world invades the church. Someone has said, and I think it's a true observation, that the church follows the world in its sin, but about 10 years behind. So that the church can always look at the world that is further in sin and feel justified and say, well, look how much better we are than those people who don't have Christ. But 10 years later, we'll be doing the same things in the church that the world is doing today, and they will have moved on to some kind of crazier thing still. And I think the Purity Movement uh, was, what I think was very good about the Purity Movement was that it, it highlighted the danger of sexual immorality, which is, uh, God addresses that numerous times in the New Testament. If you do a, a, a search on um, uh, fornication, or if you look at the, the Greek word that that comes from in the New Testament text, pornea, and if you do a word search, you'll see all that God says to warn about the dangers and his view of that. And our world says it's no big deal. Well, now today, the church is starting to say that's no big deal. Uh, everybody experiments. It's, it's it's healthy. to, And these things are lies. Um, so I think that the purity movement was good because it raised the flag that be careful. This is we, we need to stay completely away from this. You don't want to let you don't want to let a tiger get one foot in one paw in the door or get just its head in the door you you want to keep it out completely and, and uh, i think though the negative thing about the purity movement is that it neglected the reality from galatians chapter 5 that you do not resist sin by gritting your teeth and trying to do it with the strength of your own effort that's the strength of law and law does not give you the ability, just like in, in Romans chapter 7, if, if I'm trying to fight sin with my own strength, sin, sin will overcome me because sin is stronger than I am. I have to find God's strength, and that's where I need the resurrected power of Romans chapter 6. That's where I need the, the spiritual power of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. That's where I need Christ in me, the hope of glory, and not just a better Kevin. A better Kevin cannot navigate the problem of sin. And so I think with the purity movement, go back to that, is that we kind of told young people, hey, wear this ring, make a serious promise, and just keep keep that ring on so that you'll remember. Well, keeping a ring on is not enough. you better be walking with Christ and shaping a worldview and and being discipled to to grow to understand the significance uh, of purity and, and why God warns us about sexual sin. So, um, you know it's, So I think it was a mixed bag on the purity movement. But, but today, the, this, the sad thing is that the church, I've heard that too. I've heard it uh, laughed at or I've heard people who have stepped to the other side now and saying almost like I was, uh, I was uh, um, in a sense, deceived because, you know, they, they told me that I should just, I should wait and uh well i would say that the person that would argue against purity they're the ones who are deceived right now and and they need to be careful because uh god's you know god's going to deal with them in their life on that if they're a believer our heavenly father will come with his paddle and he has a big paddle and can get our attention and we need to understand when he does that that's because he loves us
0: ladies and gentlemen we are coming to the end of our time it's 14 minutes past the 10 and uh pastor kevin will be back on the 28th of let's see april may may this is coming month pastor kevin will be back uh, sharing with us this will be part two manzi on parenthood uh, you asked for it and uh, there it is it's coming if you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to, bed you, go to, bed, you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. <laughs> you Cabin Devils. your number one live podcast.